This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world. Donburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about creating these little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode of Soul, I am I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming probably one of the most up-and-coming chefs that I can recognize. And and anyone knows me, I, I don't uh, give people a lot of credit for things unless I truly believe in them. But Brianna Riddick is one of the rising stars of chefdom in Atlanta and probably known nationally as well. I've seen her cook at you know some of the greatest uh, restaurants in the city of Atlanta, but also her. Her Instagram has shown her doing some of the greatest dinner parties that you will ever find uh, around. I- I'm so jealous. I haven't even been invited to one of those dinner parties yet. So, so we're going to have a conversation after this for sure to make sure I get invited to one of these great dinner parties. But I want to welcome Brianna Riddick, representing the great city of Atlanta, of course. Uh, welcome to Soul by Todd Richards. Wow. Thank you, Chef Todd. I am more than happy and excited to be here. And what an honor. I can't believe you make me sound so cool. Like, I feel good now. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm super, super excited um, to be here and, of course, be in your honor. So thank you so much for inviting me on. It's my pleasure. Um, So you started... You started in kitchens and uh, as as in the pantry. And anyone who knows me, uh, one thing that really ticks me off the most about the business is misogyny, where men feel that they can only relegate women in the kitchen to a certain place, you know, whether it's just the pantry and they sit in the pantry station. But I've seen you cook at, uh, in, in many places, in many forms, including pastries and definitely on the savory side. Where did your career start in food? Yeah, so I actually started as a blogger. So I was blogging um, on seasoningbottle.com, but I I knew I wanted to learn more. And actually, at the time, I used to sell cars. <laughs> so I was like, I know this is not my career path. I don't want to stay here. And I couldn't find a job. So that's how I initially started blogging. Um, and then I started meeting a few chefs around the city, and they introduced me to stodging and coming into restaurants i actually worked at white oak that was like a way way before um you were there but i um i started just doing stodging for free and just going in and having an idea of how the kitchen worked because i actually didn't have like a full clue and i think that gave me an opportunity just to you know have 
have some experiences in the kitchen. So I really started working for free and stodging. So wait a minute, I'm just trying to understand. You said you actually were selling cars first. I mean, that's an interesting uh, <laughs> yes. career change from, you know, from hustling, uh, you know, selling cars and uh, to to working in the kitchen around fire and ovens and, and this close uh, community of cooks. I mean, really, what was it about car selling that you just had to get away from? I mean, it was everything. It's it's interesting because there's actually a lot of similarities to the food and restaurant kitchen energy where it is very male dominated. So at the time, I think I was just looking for a job and I ended up getting hired um, at a dealership here in Atlanta. And I was the only female woman sales rep um, but I knew my I knew my stuff. I learned about the cars um, and I was able to sell. But I think one of the main things that working in the car industry taught me was how to speak up for myself and how to um, advocate for myself, specifically when it came to money, of course, because, you know, we get commissions and you're negotiating pricing um, you're negotiating interest rates. I learned how to read credit and understand credit and understand personal financing. And I think unconsciously and unbeknownst to me, that set me up for a mindset that I didn't have prior because I'd always been a very reserved, quiet person but when my checks came and my checks weren't right, I sure did march myself up <laughs> to the manager's office. And I learned that on the job, just being around so many men. And they didn't they didn't second guess anything there. If their money wasn't right or if a deal didn't go through, they they didn't. You know, as women, we naturally sometimes think like things are our fault or we did something wrong. Um, just being around so many men, they didn't even, they didn't, they never blamed themselves for anything. So I was like, okay, let me, let me adopt this kind of mindset. And, you know, being around so many men um, actually set me up for the food industry because it's pretty similar um, about being around a lot of male um, oh energy in the kitchen. <laughs> I, 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 I often say testosterone is a gift and a curse at the same at the same time. Who 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 in your family though really started you know you wanting to be in the kitchen because it seems like you know despite your age you have this old soul of or old wisdom about food where did you develop that from um honestly so it's one of two things when i uh was younger that's when food network was starting to come up and a lot of like that was the first time that we've seen like all food content and i am which i didn't realize until i got a little older that i'm a visual learner so I was able, I was obsessed. I was able to really learn a lot of things that I didn't, you know, maybe I heard a chef talk about a chef or not, not that I actually knew what it was or what it meant, but I was already starting to become familiar with a lot of culinary terms and ingredients that I hadn't naturally used in my household. Mm -hmm. The other part is that I grew up um, in a single parent household with my mom but she cooked every day mm. and I didn't know that was not a thing for a lot of families. 
and I saw my mom. She worked a full time job. She came home and she cooked this dinner. And I don't know if just if it's just like her maternal spirit, but we were we might have been very spoiled when I think about it because she cooked this dinner and she's I don't know if it's like a tradition for other families where they serve your plate or make your plate. Mm -hmm. Um, but my mom did that for us. She made us breakfast in the morning. I mean, she honestly made us breakfast up until we were maybe in middle school where she's like, okay, you can you do guys, it now. <laughs> you guys can do it on your own. Uh, but she woke up and we had to wake up very, very early because we went to schools outside of our school district. So the schools I went to wasn't near my home. Mm -hmm. So we were always up at 5am, but she made us breakfast. She made us dinner and that really just show consistency and dedication because i mean even now as an adult where i'm cooking for other people or i'm cooking for myself sometimes i really just don't feel like cooking and when it comes to that like i don't ever remember my mom really complaining about much and we had a starch we had a vegetable everything a protein um so i think between um, seeing my mom's diligence as a mother and her dedication to providing for us, um, I know that it wasn't easy. And also watching, I watched a lot of TV. I watched a lot of food network. <laughs> you know, it, 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 was funny. it was funny growing up uh, as a kid with my grandmother. Uh, we used to watch uh, PBS, so we uh, every Saturday our lineup was was so great on cooking shows. So again, I mean, I I really uh, understand that so much. And uh, fortunately for us, you know, our, we were a family that cooked as as well. But it sounds to me that you're really talking about being self-taught and self-disciplined. Um, is that something you got from your mom as as well? Yeah, I think so for the most part. And the fact that my mom cooked also, we had a lot of cooking supplies, which I think maybe some people don't consider or think about. So I always, and oh, and I, my mother's also Jamaican. So we had the Dutch oven pot, but you know, the oh, wow. ones that the Caribbean people <laughs> use with the aluminum. Right. And you know, we had the cast iron skillets and we had the blenders and the colanders. And then, you know, baking, We I had everything to my ex to um you know access mm -hmm. to to be able to just experiment if i saw things um you know if i if i saw things on tv i think after a while i think <laughs> according to like my mom and my family my food was starting to get like a little bit too high end for them <laughs> so i was like this is good but why don't you just make lasagna why don't you just make us something regular um <laughs> but that's the artist in all of us you know <laughs> right uh and i think to that point, uh, yeah, it really, it really started with at home, and I'm, I'm very grateful to my mom's dedication. So I didn't, I didn't grow up with grandparents, and we didn't grow up with much family around us. Um, a lot of my family is in Jamaica, so I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't have any other like major stories of like other family members, um, you know, outside of my fam or outside of my, um, my mom. But of course, you know, like being Caribbean. When there's some kind of get together, I already knew how to th throw a party. Like, <laughs> I it was in me. We always had chafing dishes. You know, we just always had stuff. Like, we had the chafing dishes and the, you know, the little butane gases that go underneath it. We always had platters. We just naturally always had a lot of stuff. So, I mean, I honestly picked up how to throw parties and, you know, being able to entertain just from 
the way that my family celebrates milestones. Let, let, let me ask you this question because you bring up something that that is really dear to me and in researching and working on a new book is that there are so many similarities um, in Afro cuisine, whether mm -hmm. it's from, you know, from Africa, from uh, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Caribbean, the South here. Um, do you find that some of the techniques from the South uh, living in Atlanta are similar are more similar to the Caribbean than people might even recognize on the surface? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Across the board from, um, you know, the southern states, from the Carolinas to uh, cuisines from New Orleans, um, from the Caribbean. And then, of course, you see the whole uh, the South Southern America or South American countries that have a big Afro diasporic population. Mm -hmm. And then that's a direct connection to West African countries. And you can see that a lot of the dishes are very similar. So even if you look at some dishes within the Caribbean, you know, they might have more of a tropical feel because of the available ingredients. But the the soul of it, you know, comes from West African cuisines and the backbone of a lot of foods that we cook today. So I absolutely 100% agree with what you said. There are so many similarities. I find it fascinating. And I love that, you know, we are very connected through food. And it's interesting because I didn't grow up with southern food necessarily in my home because my mom didn't really cook southern style food but of course I you know for me grits has been um a dish that I was introduced to just from being raised in Atlanta of course you know I love peaches so of course peaches is always in everything that I do um but we we see the similarities from all of all of the dishes from across the board and then of course when we talk about uh, the culinary world everybody always regards you know the french as being the the leaders of the culinary world but i definitely believe that africa the africans that came to the americas um were the innovators that i mean all of all of southern food new orleans food and foods of the caribbean are beloved foods Absolutely. even when african americans traveled north and migrated to chicago and to new york and more of the northern states we still see very similar you know similar foods it's just maybe changed up a little bit depending on the region but it's it's foods that people it's beloved cuisine it's cuisine that warms our hearts um so it's 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 definitely dear to me and i'd one of my goals eventually is i would love to actually go to you know west african countries myself and be immersed and kind of learn a little bit more of the origin um, of a lot of these dishes and i'm really excited that so many black chefs are leaning into, you know, the origin story of a lot of dishes and, you know, being versatile to 
create fusion dishes between if it's, you know, French, Italian, um, you know, Latin food, Spanish food, any other kinds of foods and, you know, be able to tell a real culinary story on the plate. And it's exciting to see because I think black chefs have been underrated for a very long time. And now is our time to shine because we we've done the work. A lot of us have done the work and we have been cooks of America since Day one. I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent. Done the work. Oh, believe me, believe me. That, well, that's, that's the purpose of, uh, of the podcast is to release all these tangents, but also to tell. I the guess truth. I had a lot to say. Yeah, you know, to tell the truth about how we absolutely feel. So don't don't worry. Uh, you know, it's really important to tell you know exactly how you feel, and it's, you know that question really was part was not part of the questions I had for you, of course, but it's really something that you brought up. And then I was thinking about the dish that you were here with us at uh, Lake and Oak, and you created the the dish with uh, salmon you know, with the uh, pineapple and mango, but the way you talked about peaches, you talked about peaches in the same way that you were talking about mango and pineapple on Sunday. And that's why my curiosity uh, really came into, you know, and brought the question about the way that you, you know, you spoke about them uh, succinctly. We're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back with Soul by Todd Richards. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, Food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. We're back. Uh from break here, uh, Soul by Todd Witches with Brianna Riddick, uh, great friend, great chef here in Atlanta. And we were discussing earlier, of course, the similarities between peaches and mangoes and Jamaican cuisine and, and the cuisine of Afro uh, cultures. But I want to really switch the subject directly to women in the kitchen because uh, I've been uh, in kitchens for a very long time. Uh, anyone who knows me in Atlanta knows that I've had more uh, Sioux executive chef uh, that have been women. I, I don't believe in you know relegating people to one station is responsible for everyone to work all the stations. And I just want to talk about briefly what your experience was like growing, coming up in kitchens in Atlanta or, or wherever you've been, and really how do you see the industry moving forward? 
Okay, I um I have a lot of opinions about how I see the industry moving forward. Well, um, that's why, but that's to why start... I have you on the show because I know you <laughs> I know you have a lot of a lot a lot of opinions about it. But, but go ahead. Have lots of thoughts. Uh, but to start, which we'll go back to the very beginning where I mentioned that I worked uh at a car dealership, I was used to being around men. So the main thing for me. Uh, was being able to kind of hold my own and have my own confidence. I think one of the running jokes that I've had for a long time is that I was slow in the kitchen. And to this day, I, I do not agree because I'm a person that's very meticulous. So I, you know, I don't, I have, not to say that I don't make mistakes, but I rarely try to make so many mistakes to where, you know, you have to go back and start a dish all over again. But who wants to prep like, you know, a box of potatoes and then you didn't do it right. <laughs> and you have to start all the way over again. Um, but being in a kitchen gives you really tough skin. And then for me on a personal level, uh, you know, as far as being a woman, I did feel like I struggled with keeping my femininity in the kitchen. And mm. I don't know. I, it's something that I feel like women don't often talk about. Um, I mean, for me personally, you know, everybody's on the spectrum on how they feel about their femininity. But for me, you know, you're not allowed. You, you, of course, you for sanitation reasons, you're not wearing um, you're not wearing earrings. You're not wearing no polish. Your hair has to be pulled back. And I have natural thick hair. So even when my hair is pulled into a ponytail after a few hours, like I, I get a headache because <laughs> my hair is not meant to be confined <laughs> to a right. ponytail. Um, so that was one of the things that I struggled with was like femininity uh, in the kitchen and, you know, having my identity outside of the kitchen and also dealing, dealing with men because, you know, of course, dealing with men and then also different ethnicities in the kitchen. Some people don't know personal boundaries or personal space or what's appropriate because kitchen culture, it is appropriate to be inappropriate in a sense. And, you know, guys can tend to be very explicit with each other and very vulgar with each other. And that's how they, that's how, you know, from my experiences, kitchen culture well, has well, been. But, but, but let me ask you, ask you a question a little bit on that, because I want to go a little bit deeper in, in, into that kitchen culture part, because hopefully at the end of this and when people hear this, that we can ha have a tangible solution uh, for it. And what I hear you're saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that that there is this bromance, this this oh yeah, you know this uh, um, over sexualized uh, discussion, uh, exclusionary of other people culture that you have experienced in your time in the kitchens that needs to be removed in order to move the industry forward. Is, is that? The, the, the cusp of, of what you're saying. Most definitely. And I mean, I, I definitely think it's um, something that is become a lot more aware of, specifically with a lot of allegations that have come out from, you know, a lot of these major restaurants that people have regarded. But I mean, it's it's across the board. It's across a lot of restaurants. So I think, you know, it's a top down approach where, if it's the sh the chefs, the executive chefs, sous chefs, or you know, kitchen managers, being able to set the tone 
and say, look, this is this is how my kitchen is going to be run. I'm not going to tolerate this. Everybody's coming here to work. I mean, because you notice um, most of the times they'll have a lot of the women come in as prep cooks. They'll be there in the morning. And of course, you know, a lot of women are more towards pastry as well. So it's like when it comes to the line, there's, uh, you know, there seems to be more men on the line. Uh, traditionally now not to say that that's how it is today because of course a lot more women are in the kitchen now but it's definitely you know a leadership um i think accountability and tone i, I definitely for, agree you know, with for you. there to be some kind of sustainable change i definitely agree with you uh in that accountability uh but one thing that i i always ask uh my chefs and cooks or anyone in there uh, is to manage up. But let me ask you this uh, pointed question is how many times have you been told to just suck it up? That's the way it is. Um, I think a few times. And I think after, uh, I mean, I, at this point, when I'm in the kitchen, I'm de definitely very boisterous about how I feel. And I will talk to the person that I feel like I have a problem with directly first um you know but again when i initially started i didn't really i wasn't sure how kinches were of get again i was you know i'd been very shy very reserved and i would cry if some somebody was talking about me or i heard things about me and then i was like you know what it's i'm here to cook i'm here to learn and i i love learning and absorbing and if somebody's getting in the way of that and I'm not bothering anybody, I'm just minding my business, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do, then I just really had to have a mindset shift within myself um, and, you know, know that I belong here wherever, whatever position that I held or had, I earned it. I mean, because everybody knows that the kitchen is not easy and it. I mean, it it won't ever be an easy kind of job because you're on your feet all day. You are, you know, you're under a different climate pressure. conditions. <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard work. Um, so it's it's very interesting. One one last thing that I'd like to point out that I don't feel like I've heard a lot of women talk about um, as far as like the femininity thing goes as well is when we're on our menstrual cycles, I feel like it's a big deal and nobody ever talks about it. But it, it's also hard on women when we're in the kitchen because we're standing up eight hours a day, you know, sometimes not having as many breaks as, you know, you're supposed to. And it, it's, it's hard, you know, people have different symptoms and I know I, I get headaches, I get cramps, I get a lot of stuff where I have to take medicine. I know I need to sit down for five minutes, get some water and take a break. And these are things that women face that we're silent and quiet about. But I mean, I, if, it, if, if, if it's time for a change, you know, now is, now is the time for the change and now is the time for the conversations to be open because... I don't know what other time there is, but I mean, those, those are the, some of the things that I've noticed that I don't know if it's ever, you know, a topic of discussion, but I definitely think these are issues that women go through, um, being in the kitchen. I, for I sure. would definitely say, uh, with my background in hotels, uh, that is always been a topic of discussion, uh, 
that that fairness. I, I rule by by the handbook. You know, what's in the handbook is the way it, it goes, and it takes the a lot of the emotion out of it. And and certainly, you know, if a person has a cold, they they get to stay home. If a person's not feeling well, we don't you know need that. Um, energy on the line from from male or female, but also what we don't need on the line is lack of empathy for each other. Yes, and, that's know, a good one. That's a good one. And and I really believe that what you're talking about is that the team can be stronger if we have more empathy for each other, and we're making sure that the team is prepared and not focusing solely on us moving up as an individual. And that's one practice that I believe makes, you know, the kitchens I've run successful, the restaurants I've run successful. And really what I feel that the industry is moving more towards than, mm-hmm. than a way of throwing pans, knives, cussing people out. That that's you know, that energy is is very, very tired in a, in my opinion. Oh yeah. That's that's exactly it. Um I would I totally agree and i mean i you you were speaking exactly what what your what your actions are because when i was in the kitchen um this past weekend when we were when i had my pop-up at your restaurant i i loved you every your staff was hard working everybody was super courteous i mean everybody was so nice to me it was like do you need help like what do you need where is this where is that i just i felt at home and I was like, I'm just a guest here. And everybody treated me with so much respect. Um, so you are definitely, you know, walking the wa- or walking the walk from, from what you talk with. And I could see that within the way that your staff operated, you know. And, and it, it was even a funny thing where I, <laughs> I was, you know, we were looking for the gloves. And all you guys had were like the extra large gloves. And my mm-hmm. hands are so tiny. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got and then one of your staff members like literally went to Kroger or went to, went to a store to go find gloves and it was just it was just a small detail but it really left an impression on me and I think if people have that sense of empathy people are going to want to come to work and have a joy time you know working with you and in your restaurants and you know I definitely think that is a big thing that you mentioned, like having empathy within the kitchen for well, sure. I, I totally appreciate it. And I would definitely share those sentiment with the staff. Uh, it means a lot to to them um, to hear that coming from someone who, you know, has only been in our kitchen for a few hours that day. I, I got, you know, a few, only a few more minutes here, but I want to ask you a question. Not only about the dinner parties per se that you do, but really about social media, because I believe that that you have embraced social media in a way that most people, and and I get the question all the time, you know, how can I become famous as a chef? You know, and, and I tell them, so, well, how much do you cook is the first thing I ask, you know, it's like, are you really cooking or are you trying to be a TV star? Because if you're asking me how to be a TV star, I can't really tell you that, but I can also tell you, but I can tell you how to be a chef and let people find, you know, how great you are. But you have embraced social media and I can see the great following that you have. And it looks like there's still a lot of creativity that you're holding back just a little bit and ready to spring (laughs) on a spring on the world. But tell me, you know, what is it in social media that you find success uh, or what in social media has brought success to your career? 
I think the main thing with social media has been the outpouring of support from the people that follow me and have followed my journey. I mean, because because if I'm honest, I didn't have a I didn't know I was going to end up in the culinary world, even though, you know, it had been something that I knew from a long from when I was young. But this whole thing has been a journey to me, too. Like I had no clue what my outcome was going to be. And even for a long time. A lot of people didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what I was doing because I was trying to figure out where I fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wasn't ashamed of my journey, if that um, helps people out. So I think, uh, you know, I had also had experiences in editorial, again, working in the kitchens, doing the recipe development. So right now, I think everything is coming together for me because I believed in myself and I was kind of open to sharing what my journey is, like the highs and the lows. And it really had been a lot of support. And it's funny that you mentioned that I might be holding back. Well, it's really my personality. And I don't, it's so funny because when I tell people that I'm shy, I mean, I'm definitely an introvert and I'm reserved. And Wait, you say know, it again. You, you are who or what? I, an introvert. Nobody believes me. <laughs> and listen, this has been years of self development. In training myself on how to talk to people in public without, you know, being a recluse. And I mean, clearly I've gotten very great at it because nobody (laughs) believes that I am like an introverted person. Um, But it, it, it has been that. So I think for me personally right now, I've just been a lot more comfortable with myself. I've been a lot more... Um, you know, comfortable with my journey, comfortable with my cooking skills, because for a long time I was uncomfortable and I didn't, I mean, I know I cooked well, but I didn't, you know, not to where I felt like I deserved any kind of recognition or anything like that. I just kept trying and figuring out what worked for me, what was my cooking style. And I, and I, lucky to have like the natural gift of being creative mm-hmm. i think that's what my actual gift is like creativity and you know food and cooking is the medium but it, it took me a while i mean you you have to know your stuff and you can't fake <laughs> you can't fake being a chef like you need to know your knife <laughs> skills you know you need to know your sanitation you know how to you know work in a kitchen and you know be able to maneuver and work around and even if you have any kind of pop-up you just have to know your stuff and that's not anything that you can fake and you definitely can't fake it around other people that (laughs) know know what they're doing (laughs) for sure so I think uh yeah I've just been more open with sharing my things and also when I post recipes I don't my the recipes that I do for my dinners Mm-hmm. And the recipes that I post for, you know, for sharing are different kinds of styles of recipe because when I'm in the kitchen, you know, there's a lot more equipment that I can work with. There's a lot more materials. There's a lot more ingredients as opposed to when I'm working, um, you know, at home, I'm thinking about what ingredients are available to people. It doesn't matter where they live, you know, and what kind of cooking utensils and supplies that I think that people naturally have at home. And I, I try, I think, I think my thing that people like is my, when I post any recipes on my stories, it looks doable. 
it looks like people can try it. And I think that is something that I'm going to keep working towards, making recipes look approachable. And like it gives people the inspiration to either do the exact recipe or do, you know, a rendition of it or, you know, feel empowered to feel like they can cook at home. And specifically right now, because everyone a lot of people is are at home. They're I mean, at home. Everybody's at home. Especially in this COVID environment, you know, we find more people are, are, are cooking, you know, genuinely are, are cooking. But I believe we only got to the surface of, of really what my question, you know, was about you holding back some, because I believe that as a person who is also uh, a very quiet person, uh, you know, I, I, and I share your story in the same sense that most people know that there's two different Todd's. There's Chef Todd Richards and there's Todd Richards. And Chef Todd Richards is this very outgoing person and Todd Richards is quiet as a church mouse. You, you may not even know I'm in the same room uh, with you. You know, that because, that yeah. is something that's good to hear because I am literally <laughs> the exact way yeah. for sure. And uh, my my final kind of wrap up question here is I might have a follow up after it is really what next, though? What next can you give the listeners as the next pathway, not only for equality in the kitchen, but also equality and creativity that can be celebrated. We have chefs like, you know, Mashama Bailey, you know, who's mm -hmm. a great friend, you know, who won Beard Award, uh, Nina Compton, Naisha, mm -hmm. you know, I can All go these down. women I'd love to meet one day. Yes. Um, and, 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 and somehow I will help you make that happen. They, they're all are great, great friends, friends of, of, of mine. Uh, but, you know, what's important to the next set of of leadership uh in the kitchen and when it comes to equality for all and that act of kindness to make food the most delicious uh i mean you said it right there i definitely think the main thing is the empathy and the kindness and oh i don't know if i actually said like how i feel like the industry is changing but the industry is changing the industry is completely pivoting i mean we're seeing restaurants that have been around for years and years and years that are closing because of you know whatever the high rent prices are or whatever they're not getting enough traffic um so i definitely see that there's a shift in the restaurant industry i definitely see that you know we're going more towards to go food i mean clearly we're, we're already seeing that so I, I see a shift in the structure of how restaurants work and run and the structure of accessibility to food. Because mm -hmm. for a long time, high-end food has only been left to the affluent and the elite that could afford to have these really nice high-end dining experiences. And, you know, at this point right now, those experiences may not be regarded as much as they had been in the past because people need, are you know, they're saving money or they're, you know, not being able to actually physically get out and go to these restaurants. So I definitely think, you know, even your restaurant and how, you know, it's good barbecue and it's comforting food. So I definitely think there's going to be more of a a switch to food that's more comforting, a switch to food that's more accessible to more people a switch to food that is physically, you know, more acceptable as far mm -hmm. as if people are getting it to go or they're picking it up 
or you know food that people can assemble and cook at home meal prep you know those kinds of types of food and structures are definitely changing and you know private chefs or you know creating an in-home experience is is where i see the industry i mean if people want to go you know some people are going to hold on to the old paradigm but they'll hold on to it if they want to they're going to get left behind (laughs) (laughs) It's, 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 it's 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 just changing you have to you know take heed and be able to move and you know foresee if you've been in the restaurant industry or in the food industry you just have to you know accept that things are things are changing and foresee and foresee that change and structure your business accordingly so where can they find you on uh on social media yes everybody can find me my instagram twitter everything is seasoning bottle and that is one word uh, seasoning bottle on instagram seasoning bottle on twitter i just revamped my website so i'm going to start updating with new recipes and a lot of the recipes that i'm doing for my private chef work and yeah this so much so much is going on i'm so blessed todd i'm so grateful that you have been such a mentor to me uh and you know taken me under your wing and really supported all the things that i'm doing and i'm entirely very grateful because it it takes voices like yours and honestly recognition from other black chefs in the industry and i don't think i would be anywhere right now without my community and without atlanta um because it wasn't until i moved back home that i i had to figure it out and i started my dinner parties and i believed in myself and i did the work and it was just time for me to believe in myself and when i did everybody else started to believe in me so i 100 percent give a lot of my accolades a lot of my work to my community for sure and to myself because (laughs) absolutely you know what i've been doing the work (laughs) (laughs) i am tired (laughs) (laughs) well i I believe that the lessons that we're all going to learn from this conversation is belief in self uh, belief in others uh, equality for all and most importantly cook delicious food i thank you brianna for for uh stopping by soul by todd richards and of course i will see you in a kitchen in ATL Atlanta pretty soon and uh, the future is yours my friend Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.